Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, and I am your host, Rick Loiza. And this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we bring you the story of Yugoslavian basketball. While it is no longer its own nation, Yugoslavia has a very proud basketball tradition. Only four countries have ever won the gold medal at a men's Olympic basketball tournament, and Yugoslavia is one of them. The other three countries are the United States with 15 gold medals, the Soviet Union with two, and Argentina with one. So, they have a history of playing high-quality basketball and have produced really great players over the years, especially when you consider some of the current players who have come from former Yugoslavian republics, like Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic. But to tell the story of Yugoslavian basketball, I have to tell you the story of Yugoslavia. Now this will just be a simplified overview. My focus here is to keep this story about basketball and not the political history of Eastern Europe. Besides, to give you the full history of Yugoslavia, it would require 10 episodes that are an hour long each. Someone could do an entire university course on just the history of Yugoslavia. It reminds me of episode 17 on Tom Meshery. In order to tell his story, I had to give you a little bit of Russian history including the assassination of the Tsar. So, here is the brief overview of Yugoslavia. It came into existence in 1918 after the end of World War I. That area was previously part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the Ottoman Empire before that. But after World War I, international borders were redrawn all over Europe. Within the former Austro-Hungarian Empire were various Slavic people groups, including the Croats, the Serbs, and the Slovenes. These three people groups were united under a Serbian king. The new nation was called the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes. Now that's quite a long name, so it got changed to simply the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, and that happened in 1929. Now let us fast forward a little bit to the end of World War II when international borders were redrawn again. The kingdom came under the control of the emerging Soviet communists. The Yugoslavian monarchy was abolished and replaced with a communist government. Additional territories and people groups were added to Yugoslavia, including Macedonia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Montenegro. As the dust settled after World War II, this new version of Yugoslavia began to invest in its various sports programs, including their basketball team. Over the years, they began to perform better at international competition. They had a real breakthrough in 1980 at the Summer Olympics in Moscow. This was the first time that the Olympics were held in a communist country. As was typical during the Cold War, there was always political drama when it came to either the Soviet Union or the United States. 
Due to the war that was going on between the Soviet Union and Afghanistan, the United States led a 66-nation boycott of the Moscow Games to protest that war. By the way, some Western athletes still showed up to compete, but they had to compete under the Olympic flag instead of their own nation, so they were technically independent competitors. For example, the basketball teams from Spain, Italy, and Australia still showed up to play, but since their countries were boycotting, all three teams competed under the Olympic flag, and if they were to win any medals, those medals would not count toward their own countries. Yugoslavia won their group during the first round-robin stage along with Italy and the Soviet Union. They then moved to a second round-robin stage where Yugoslavia won that too. They entered the gold medal game with a record of 7-0 against Italy with a record of 5-2. Yugoslavia won the game by a score of 86-77. They were led by Dragan Kicinovic with 22 points. Kicinovic led the team in scoring in 4 out of their 8 games. Kicinovic was named by his own federation as the best Yugoslavian basketball player ever. Their other big scorer was Drazen Dalepajic. Both players had very successful professional careers in Europe during the 1970s and 1980s. Kicinovic later became his country's Minister of Youth and Sports. Now, let's fast forward a little bit more to the end of the 1980s. The Berlin Wall had just fallen, which signaled the end of communism. With the Soviet Union no longer in control like they had been, many territories began to declare their independence from the Soviet Union. Yugoslavia held on as a nation for a couple of years, but it was obvious that change was coming. In 1991, both Croatia and Serbia declared their independence from Yugoslavia on the same day. Later in the year, Macedonia also declared their independence. The following year, Bosnia and Herzegovina declared their independence. With further declarations of independence, this one nation has today become seven nations. Those nations are Serbia, Croatia, Slovenia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro, North Macedonia, and Kosovo. But the impact that this had on the basketball team is still felt today. And this is a good place to take a break and I'll be right back with how the breakup of Yugoslavia impacted the basketball team. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show, and now let us keep going with the impact that the breakup of Yugoslavia had on the men's basketball team. At the time that Yugoslavia broke up as a nation, their national basketball team was the best team in the world. Now, I'm not exaggerating that. They have the medals to prove it. First, a little bit of context. NBA players were still not allowed to play in international competitions. But the players from any other professional league in the world were still allowed to play in those international competitions. This means that the United States had to still send a team of teenage college players to play against the professionals from other countries in competitions like the Olympics and the Basketball World Cup. As I mentioned, the breakup of the nation of Yugoslavia began in 1991, but I need to back up a bit to 1988 when the Yugoslavian team played at the Olympics in South Korea. The team featured some very young players like Vlade Divac, Drajan Petrovic, Tony Kukoc, Stojko Vrankovic, and Dino Raja. All five of these players would later play in the NBA. 
This team was loaded with talent and found itself in the gold medal game against the Soviet Union. The Soviets had defeated the United States in the semifinals. However, that Soviet team that year was older and more experienced. They defeated Yugoslavia 76-63, but it meant that this young Yugoslavian team was the second best team in the world and they still had a lot of room to grow. This was very promising for these players. Just one year later, the Yugoslavian team won the European Championship in 1989, where Drazen Petrovic won the tournament MVP. This was an incredible victory for Yugoslavia. To be the best team in Europe was a significant accomplishment. It also proved that their second place finish at the Olympics was no fluke. For that era, that team was stacked. They were still loaded with those same future NBA players. And then they followed that victory up in 1990 when they won the Basketball World Cup. They were the best team in the world and now they knew it and so did everybody else. The tournament was held in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yugoslavia defeated the Soviet Union 92-75 and Tony Kukoc was the MVP of that tournament. As the final horn sounded, Petrovic ran to Divac and jumped into his arms. They were officially the best team in the whole world. They had accomplished the impossible. Divac keeps a photo of that moment where he and Petrovic were hugging. However, as that team was celebrating this incredible moment, things back in Yugoslavia were not great, politically speaking. As the Yugoslavian players began to gather at center court to celebrate this World Cup victory, somebody brought out a Croatian flag. Divac grabbed the flag and threw it down. He quickly grabbed a Yugoslavian flag from a fan and used it to rally his teammates and they chanted Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia. Divac knew that the country was likely to break up at any time. He wanted to celebrate the biggest win in their nation's basketball history as a united Yugoslavia, not as their separate republics. His gesture was pro-Yugoslavian, but Croatians did not see it that way. They saw Divac's gesture as anti-Croatian and it led to turmoil for him and his family back home. It also led to the end of his most important friendship. ESPN did a documentary several years ago called Once Brothers that explores the relationships between the Yugoslavian players and how those relationships were impacted by the breakup of Yugoslavia. These players spent so much time together that they became a family. They genuinely cared about each other. More than one of the players has said that they were like a group of 12 brothers. The impending breakup of the nation was difficult for all of the players, but it was especially trying for Drazen Petrovic and Vlade Divac. Petrovic and Divac were best friends. They had been playing on the Yugoslavian junior and senior national teams together since they were kids. They were inseparable. They were both in their early 20s and had already spent half of their lives traveling around the world playing basketball together a game that they loved with dreams of someday playing in the NBA. Their friendship could not withstand the political realities as their nation was crumbling. Their relationship had deteriorated to the point that Petrovic would no longer speak to Divac. You see, Petrovic was Croatian and Divac is Serbian. War was breaking out between their people groups. Politically, they each sided with their own people group. For Divac's part, he felt that their political differences should not ruin their friendship. But Petrovic did not see it that way. As a proud Croatian, he could no longer be friends with a Serbian. At least, not this Serbian. 
1991, the team came back to win the European Championship again, solidifying their reputation as the world's greatest basketball team. Petrovic did not play in that tournament, but Divac did, along with Tony Kukoc. That 1991 tournament was being held in Rome. As fate would have it, the team was in the middle of the tournament when they got the news that both Croatia and Serbia had declared independence. The players knew that this was a strong possibility when they flew to Italy for the tournament. This had been brewing for over a year. They would finish out the tournament as Yugoslavia, but they knew that when they returned home, they would all return to their new independent nations. This was the last time they would all play together as a single team. They were the best team in the world, and they were broken up by political decisions. It was not another team that knocked them off the pedestal. It was politicians that did it. In what everyone knew would be their final basketball game that Yugoslavia would ever play, they defeated Italy 88-73 to defend their title as European champions. That following year in 1992 was the Barcelona Olympics, the first one to feature NBA players. And we all know that the Dream Team demolished that tournament beating every opponent by wide margins. Of all of the former Yugoslavian republics, only Croatia was able to qualify for that Olympics. That Croatian team included Drazen Petrovic, Toni Kukoc, Dino Raja, Stojko Vrenkovic, and Jean Tabak, who all played in the NBA at different points in their career. Their former Yugoslavian teammates, like Vlade Divac, had to watch the Olympics from home. The Croatian team took the silver medal. They lost to the United States 117-85, but it was the closest game of the tournament for the Dream Team, making them the second best team in the world. But you had to ask the question, what could they have done if they had still played as Yugoslavia, which would have included their Serbian and Slovenian teammates? Could they have beaten the Dream Team as a full Yugoslavian squad? Well, probably not. But at the same time, you never know. That is why they played the games. Upsets happen sometimes. Unfortunately, Petrovic died a year later in a car accident in Germany in 1993. He and Divac never had a chance to resolve their differences. In interviews, Divac still calls it his greatest regret. Part of what prompted me to do this story is the Tokyo Olympics, which just started a few days ago. The question that kept running through my head is, what would a Yugoslavian team look like today if all of these former republics were still one nation? So I went through a couple of different lists of the top players from each of these former Yugoslavian countries, and here's what I came up with. By the way, there are 17 players currently in the NBA from these former Yugoslavian republics, and many more playing at the highest levels of the European leagues. Here is the likely starting five if Yugoslavia was still a country. At the point guard, you would have Goran Dragic from Slovenia and the Miami Heat. At shooting guard, you would have Bogdan Bogdanovic from Serbia and the Atlanta Hawks. At small forward, you would have Luka Doncic from Slovenia and the Dallas Mavericks. At power forward, you would have Nikola Vucevic from Montenegro and the Chicago Bulls. At center, you would have the reigning MVP of the NBA, Nikola Jokic, from Serbia and the Denver Nuggets. Coming off the bench, you would have Bojan Bogdanovic from Croatia and the Utah Jazz, Yusuf Nurkic from Bosnia and the Portland Trailblazers, Nemanja Bialica from Serbia and the Miami Heat, Ivaka Zubac from Croatia and the LA Clippers, Boban Marjanovic from Serbia and the Dallas Mavericks, Dario Saric from Croatia and the Phoenix Suns, 
and Jedi Osman from Macedonia and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Except for the United States, Yugoslavia would be the only other nation that could send a team made up completely of NBA players. This team would include four All-Stars, one of whom is the current MVP of the NBA. Now that would be a fun team to watch. By now, you know me, and I sometimes enjoy playing the what-if game with basketball history, but the main point of this episode is to remember just how good the teams and the players are that come from this region of Europe. The former Yugoslavia nations produce top-level basketball players, and they have been for close to 40 years. This is why today most NBA teams have a scout that focuses on Eastern Europe to make sure that they identify these players early. So, there you have it. There's the story of the Yugoslavian basketball team. And I hope all of you are as excited for the Olympics as I am. I love the Olympic tournament. I have a few teams that I will be supporting. My father's family comes from Italy several generations back. My brother-in-law was born in Argentina, which is the team he will root for. My wife's home country is Spain, so we will definitely be supporting them. And of course, the United States is my own home country, so I will be watching every one of their games. So I hope you've all had fun with this story. Enjoy the Olympics, whichever country you're supporting. And join us next week when we share the story of the history of the three-point line and how it changed the way that basketball is played. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go ahead and give us a rating and a review, and that will help others to find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts, as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care, and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.